Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Have you ever seen direct anterior composite resin work done so well that they actually look better or more natural than most other people's indirect porcelain veneers? If you're keen to know how to do this yourself in the clinic, then this is the podcast to listen to. Hi everyone and welcome to the What I Wish I Knew podcast by Dental Head Start. My name's Chidam Kapel. I'm a practicing dentist and I'm also the one behind principal practice management software and level up practice systems and team training software. Today, I'm super stoked to be hosting one of the most talented young dentists in Australia, Dr. Karim Habib. If you aren't already following Karim's anterior aesthetic work on Instagram, do it right now. There's a reason why he has over 20,000 followers and many of them are international dentists that just drool over his aesthetic work. Karim is also one of the most humble human beings I've ever met and on this podcast he so generously shares his exact protocol for how he does his anterior composite resin work to produce these phenomenal smile makeovers. So everything from the initial smile design to the bonding protocols, the layering, his composite choices, all the way through to his polishing. So Dr. Karim starts by telling us from his point of view what the aesthetic elements are that make up an absolutely beautiful smile. I guess it's it's breaking it down into basic elements. Um, when we look at a smile, a whole smile, it's different to analyzing one individual too, but the whole smile is, is broken up into smaller elements. So and, and it, that's the, the, the individual teeth. And even the individual teeth, are, there are elements that make up what a tooth looks like. And uh, it's just getting the basics right. It's getting the, the form right. So we're talking about the overall shape, color, of course. Um, and the way, it, it, the way it reflects the light as well. So that's what's going to make the the direct veneer or the indirect veneer sort of disappear into the restorations. Where, where did you first start learning how to do this really, really beautiful direct composite resin aesthetic work? Well, I think I've always had an interest in, in working with, with composites. So one of the main reasons I got into dentistry is because I always liked working with my hands. Um, it was the artistic side as well of dentistry that, that drew me to the profession. So my dad was an artist, so he used to paint at home. We've got paintings all over the walls at home. So I grew up in a household and um, we sort of valued art. And that's kind of what initially drew me towards uh, dentistry. Now, most of what we do in dentistry does involve some cosmetic elements, believe it or not, even if it is the posterior filling, it's, if it's done in a composite. Um, even even an album can be carved in a, in a, in a beautiful way. So it's, it's not just about function. Um, but when we graduated, our priorities, our focus is always to get, you know, the restoration to be sound, uh, that is bonded correctly, um, that is healthy and functions well. Now, the next step is to try and get those restorations to actually look nice as well. And it, and it probably didn't start with direct composite veneers initially. It probably started with just you know, getting those class five composites blending in with the contours of the tooth. 
and then um, and then those class fours. Now the class fours is a, is great practice because you're only restoring part of the tooth, and you've got the rest of the tooth there as a reference. The, you know, very different to actually doing a full veneer. And the full veneer will, will come next because that you're you're basically recreating the whole surface of the tooth. But when you're doing a class four, I think it's um, that particular restoration is one that I would recommend new grants to spend a bit of time on um, to try and, and master. That's a really good tip. I guess the class four restoration the the tooth on the other side there is already a template for us to essentially practice um, the, all of this variable anatomy and form that you know teeth come in different forms. So that's a really good good point starting there. Do you think that you can maybe walk us through um, clinically your basic protocols or steps for doing the appointment? Well, it starts with the consultation. So they're usually booking in a consultation. Um, because they want to do something about their smile. Now, they might not know exactly what they need, but they might know that, you know, if they have a night, if, if they don't have a good smile. So that's our job as, you know, as the dentist. So if, if we should be able, I mean, as an aesthetic dentist, ideally, you should be able to look at a smile and realize what is lacking and what can you change to make this, you know, a better smile for the patient. So it's kind of like a chef. A chef can, you know, can taste, take a, a spoonful of, of something from a pot and he can tell you exactly what the ingredients are, what's missing, what it needs. Whereas if I did the same, I'd, I'd probably say it tastes good or it doesn't taste good. Yeah, needs more so salt. When, that's right, exactly. That's it, usually. So when the patients come in, I'm, I'm, the first thing I'm assessing is, first of all, um, when they're speaking to me, uh, are they sort of covering their mouth? Um you know, how confident they are about their smile. And the first thing you might notice is, is there enough teeth showing? So the teeth display, that's the first thing. Are we going to potentially need to increase the length of the teeth or anything like that? And then on assessment, the first thing you want to establish very quickly is, is this an orthodontic case or is it a veneer case? Because patients might be coming in wanting veneers, but as dentists, we do have a, an ethical and a moral responsibility towards our patients because even though they might be wanting veneers, um, that treatment might not be suitable for them. So, and, and in some cases, you might have to say, no, I can't do this treatment. Okay. So the first thing we want to establish, is this an orthodontic case? And the way we establish that is, well, simply, if there's a lot of overlaps in the teeth, uh, if there's a lot of crowding, if you've got teeth that are sort of crowded labially, because then to restore that with veneers, you're, you, you have to either bulk everything out to be in line with that tooth that's sticking out, or you're going to have to cut that tooth back, which we'd rather not do. If you've got some mild crowding, mainly if they're, if they're sort of crowded inwards a little bit, usually that's not a problem, and you might be able to restore that with veneers. But if, they, if they're happy with the shape of the teeth and they're happy with the color of the teeth and it's just the crowding that they want it sorted, then Invisalign or braces would be the way to go. Now, assuming they've got other issues, let's say they've got staining on the teeth or they've got chipped edges and, they, and we still need to do something else beyond just putting the teeth in the right position, that's when we now need to consider restoring this with some sort of restorative material, either composite or porcelain. 
Um, so the other thing I look at, and this is probably overlooked, and initially I probably used to overlook this as well, is to look at the gingival profile before you start restoring anything. Because if you want to create an ideal smile, then in the ideal smile, the gingiva is symmetrical, the gingival profile. If the teeth are slightly crowded, then the, then the gum line might be different. Um, so, and, and then when we do the veneer, we're going to build it all the way up to the gums. So it might not take that much more to just lift the gums up on one or two teeth, and it can make a massive difference in the end. Mm, I actually posted about this yesterday, but what is your main method of um, lifting the gum position? Well, if it's if it's a really simple half a mil to one mil, um, I, I use a laser. If it needs any more than one and a half or two mils, I'll probably refer that off to a periodontist for surgical crown lengthening. Mm -hmm. Very good. And out of curiosity... Do you do, if it's just a very minor half mil gingivectomy that you can do with a laser, do you do that at the same time as your prep appointment? I don't. So what I do is, because, I, because I'm giving them anesthetic, when I do the, if I'm doing direct veneers in particular, I'd rather, and in most cases we do this without any anesthetic at all, because I'm evaluating the smile as I'm restoring, I'd rather they don't have anesthetic on one side where their lip is dropping. So I, I, we, we do the gingivectomy. And we typically complete the procedure two or three weeks after. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a okay. really good tip. I guess I've heard of multiple ways doing it. So let's say you had a consultation. We assessed all of these things, the um, whether or not they need ortho, what other issues are present, how much tooth display they have. And you've got a very good, you're starting to form in your mind the design that would work best for this patient. Now let's assume that it is a case where the teeth are well aligned or let's say they've just finished ortho. Now composite direct composite veneers the stuff that's on your facebook profile if anyone wants to um feel completely jealous no i'm joking i know I'm, i know you're very very humble but um it's just mind-blowing how how beautiful these direct veneers are um let's say they're ready now to receive this treatment can you walk us through your clinical protocol let's say they don't have existing fillings that they're, they're straight enough um, but all the edges are worn and maybe we want to change the color okay so if we want to change the color then it might be worthwhile letting them know about teeth whitening because if we're just going to be restoring the top teeth and if they do want to go brighter which a lot of them do uh, they need to know that they can't whiten the veneers after their place so we've got the option of doing teeth whitening first mainly to whiten the teeth that are not being veneered, so the bottom teeth and maybe the upper posteriors if you're not doing the full smile, let's say if you're just doing four, they just want to take the shade up, you know, one or, one or two shades. So we can do the teeth whitening first. And then usually I'd wait two weeks before we do any composite work. Now, how do we actually do the composite? Now, when I'm building the smile, um, in, in, initially, I'd probably recommend if people are, are you know, dentists are getting into this, um, um, you know, early in their career, doing a wax up, if it's helpful for you, by all means, do the wax up, because then that can give you a guide, especially when you're lengthening teeth. Um, if you need to have like a putty key made um, or something to show the patients and get their approval first before you go ahead and do the procedure, then, then 
feel free to do that. You, I tend to sometimes do a quick mock-up in the mouth so they can get a feel for, for what to expect. Um, I also show them the, the photos of the other work that we've done so they've got an idea of what to expect as well. Because every dentist has got their own style. Um, so I can tell them this case is similar. You can expect something similar to this. A great mock-up case is cases where you know, you've got smaller peg laterals, for example. Building them directly in the mouth takes five minutes. And then it can give them an idea of, of, of what it can look like. Mm -hmm. And then we book them in and get the treatment done. Can I just pause there with the mock-up part? Let's say you do mm -hmm. a quick direct mock-up in the mouth just to give them an idea. And you yeah. show them the mirror and they say, yep, something along these lines that's you know really good. Um, and, you know, most dentists apologise, like, oh, the real one will be better, they'll be polished, this is crap. Yeah. Um, and they're like, oh, I love it. But once you've done a mock-up and you get their, I guess, approval in principle, what do you do with that? Do you take photos? Do you take another mould? Do you take a scan? Or do you just sort of go, yep, flick it off, or you've got the general idea? Look, if I'm, if I'm doing porcelain, it's a different story. So if I'm doing a porcelain case, every single case gets a mock-up. And, and the mock-up needs to be verified. And if we do any adjustments to the mock-up, I will take an impression and I will use that to build the finals. With composites, I don't always do, uh, I, I don't usually do a wax-up for the, for the composite simply because the composite is adjustable in the end. You know what I mean? I've, we've got an idea, we've, we go through the, we take a lot of photos of the consultation. We go through the photos, we, I always look at the smile and, and pick a reference to usually, you know, if it's, let's say it's the one of the central incisors, get an idea of where I want those centrals to be. Do I need to lengthen them by half a mil? Is the length of the one one perfect and just build everything accordingly? And the rest is built kind of similar to, you know, you can think of your denture setup. You can have whatever setup you like. So the laterals a little bit shorter, canines drop them down, premolars following, you know, parallel to the, to the canines, et cetera. Um, but yeah, so, so let's say we've, we've established the mock-up is, is good in the mouth that, you know, we've done the two laterals, I'll take the photos and I've kind of got an idea of what they want. If we're doing multiple teeth, um, sometimes I do a quick mock-up, but obviously the actual appointment, yes, we, we tell them it's going to, it's going to take longer. Um, usually these appointments can be three and a half hours. For example, for doing eight or, or ten composite veneers, sometimes even four hours. Um, so yeah, so the reference tooth is 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 something I use in in every case. Like look at the photos. If you need to do like a DSD or draw on an iPad, what whatever helps you to plan how to actually build the the, the small when you go in. Um, yeah, by all means, because there's there's two things you need to in cases of, of direct veneers. There's there's two sort of goals. You you need to have you need to have a, a mental picture in your mind of what you want things to look like. And then you need to have the tools and the skills to actually build it in the patient's mouth. So these are two different things. What you want things to look like is the big picture. And then it's, again, it's zooming in onto these individual teeth and what does the central look like? What does the lateral look like? How am I gonna place those line angles? Am I gonna tweak the existing uh, proportions of the teeth and how am I going to do that? What am I going to do with the incisal embrasures? Um, all these things can change the proportions, the the look, the the character of the of the of the smile. Yeah. So there's a level of micro focus, but then you need to shift to that macro focus later 
to see how it all, how the final right. result, the that impression that the patient has when they first look in the mirror and go, wow, it's so easy. It's actually quite difficult to shift your mental focus from being in that microzone texture proportions, line angles, etc., to then zoom out. I mean, I sometimes get I don't know what the official word is, but I call it visual fatigue um, when you've been in there too long and sometimes you do need to walk away just to um, become sensitive to that macro focus, the big picture, big picture smile design. Um, I, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced that that either. No, that's right, yeah. And, and then the other thing is you, you also want to give the patient something that A, suits them, but also something that they actually like. So as dentists, we might think that, you know, we, we have a particular idea of what a tooth should look like. Some patients aren't after that, but for the purposes of what we're discussing today, we'll probably discuss, you know, the, the patients that are after the natural looking. Yes, yes. And, and yeah. you're basically your average case for direct. I mean, I think that's beautiful. So let's um, fast forward from that. So we're going to get into the juicy stuff, the real tips and actionable stuff that we can um, steal from let's you. Um, okay, they love their mock-up, they're booked in, they're ready to go. Can you walk us through clinically your steps? Okay, so patient sits in the chair, picks a movie in Netflix, Okay, we sit them down. Um, obviously, the teeth are cleaned, and and we're starting to bond the teeth. So you've done your etch, your bond, etc. I will always build the teeth individually. Can first. I ask before um, what sort of bonding um, products you use? Uh, look, I use I use SE Bond, SE mm -hmm. Primer, SE Bond. I use OptiBond as well, OptiBond Extra. So for uh, a case for where you're only bonding to enamel, and you're not really, it doesn't yeah. require any. Is your material is your bond of choice OptiBond? Um, I use I use SE Bond mainly. Yeah. Okay. If I'm doing indirects, I use OptiBond. Okay. Just because the film thickness is slightly thinner. Okay. Um, is, is SE Bond has a primer component? Is that right? That's correct, yeah. Okay, do you use that? SE-Bond too. Okay. I do, yeah, I do. I just, I mean, there's no harm in using it. No, yeah. no, okay. And sometimes you've got, sometimes you've got areas where uh, there's a little bit of recession um, or there's a there's a, a bit of a class five as well. Um, so I just routinely will prime and bond. Mm -hmm. And sorry to go backwards here, but with the etching step, do you ever use um, like a micro etcher or sandblaster in advance, or any do any beveling before you? Etch? I'll use I'll use pumice uh, to clean the tooth. I will always uh, so I will do a there. You have to do some sort of a bevel if you're doing like a class four restoration. Um, if I'm lengthening the teeth, I'll I'll do a small palatal bevel as well, just to get a little bit of locking in on the uh, from the palatal side. Very very minor roughing of the uh, roughening of the tooth. You can use a micro edge, or you can just use a very fine burr. Not not you know, obviously not too much if you don't need to. Yeah, sorry to rewind you into so much detail. I guess um, I just we there are so many variations in these things, and I guess we want to know how you do it because the the ultimate outcome is is so good. Dental Protection Limited. They're more than just an indemnity insurer. Of course, they'll provide the best support they can when you have a tough time and you need them. But that goes without saying. 
More importantly, they're trying to help us prevent these things and they're doing this through their online education, their numerous blogs and articles, their live education and now a podcast called Risk Bites that is bite-sized pieces of information to help you prevent medico-legal risks. And during this COVID-19 pandemic, they are providing unparalleled support to their members. So if you're a member, you'd know all this, but even if you're not, you can get a lot of this information online. Check DPL out and thank you DPL for supporting dental students and graduates and for supporting the Dental Head Start podcast. So we've done a little bit of beveling, maybe lightly roughen the edges, pumice clean, etch, bond. Okay, mm-hmm. how do we how do we place and then you that get onto your centrals? You start with your centrals. So start building central number one. And don't be worried to overbuild the tooth. So initially you overbuild the tooth and you're looking at it, you're like, oh my god, I stuffed this up. This is, looks horrible. You can always cut it back. So I tend to use a technique where I, I build the tooth and then I and I can then carve it back into shape. Um, obviously, with experience, you, you tend not to overbuild it too much, so you're not having to spend hours and hours carving it back. But building it a little bit or overbuilding it is better than underbuilding because you'll have to come back and add composite layer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when so, you're building these centrals, um, are mm-hmm. you using a stent, putty? What's your matrix, preferred matrix protocol? Most of these cases I prefer to do without a stent because I just find that I've just got more control with it. Um, especially if I'm, if, even if, if I'm lengthening you know, like half a millimeter or one millimeter, um, I, can, I can use my uh, uh, mylar strip with a glove finger, okay? And I, I can use that for support and I increase the length. So that's the first step is build the length first. And then I do the, the, the facial increment. So I'll usually have a mylar strip between, between the teeth. And um, I try I try and do this with one increment of composite if possible. Okay. Um, sculpting. Now, that's the thing. Now, to, to, to do this, you need to have the tools as well. So if, if you're just using your standard flat plastic that you use for posterior teeth, uh, it becomes harder to to create these restorations. Anteriorly, I use a brush, and that's what I learned. Uh, I did a course a couple of years ago, Jason Smithson and, and Anthony Mack, which was a fantastic course on anterior composite. And what I got out of that was how to manipulate the material. So once you know how to actually move and pull the material and, uh, and actually apply it to the surface of the tooth, that's when you can learn you know, to minimize the voids and how to sculpt it into shape and how to make basically your life easier. Mm. And what material, what composite of, is your composite of choice these days? Look, I've, I've used several composites, but I mainly use Filtex Supreme. Um, there are many composites that are, that are great. You probably don't need to stock every single brand. As long as you, the one that you use, you're, you're very familiar with the different types and the enamels and the dentines and the body shades and, and all of that. And just stick to one system. Most of the, most of the composites on the market are pretty good. Then. For your average case, are you um, blending a number of shades? I, I mean, I sometimes see people muck around with shades and layering and blending and dentine and transparent bits. And in the end, it's always a somewhat of a gamble because there are so many factors to 
um, the op the, end the optical results at, at the end. Um, what? How can we simplify this? What do you do? Well, look, it's, I guess it's, I mean, I show patients different pictures of different types of veneers. I can show them a veneer that is single shape, like a monolithic composite veneer. Um, and that can still look nice if, if, it's, if, it, if the form of the restoration is good and the shapes and the line angles and the texture and the polish is good, you can still have a good looking restoration. Um, I do also offer composite veneers that have the incisor-less translucency and there's many ways you can sort of build that. Over the years I've sort of, you know, played around with different techniques on how to get it. I'm still working on it uh, just to try and simplify that and, and produce it in a, uh, in a more systematic manner. Um, like something I can produce for every patient so that's, that's reproducible. Yeah. So um, are you layering um, many colors or? Look, um, uh, the, um, I'm using something like a body shape for most of the restoration. Um, and then there's usually some sort of enamel shade on the, on the surface um, just to get that high polish. Now you can sort of sandwich a bit of tint in between or details or lamellons if you wanna if you wanna create that translucency. And with that translucency on the edge, you can make it as complicated or as simple as you like, especially if you're doing multiple teeth. If you're doing a single central, then you're you're guided by the tooth next door. You have to sort of blend it in with the tooth next door. That's probably the hardest frustration. Doing a single central and 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 it's a dark tooth as well. Mm. That would yeah. be the toughest. Yeah, that's absolutely sure. Okay, so you said that um, you do try to um, minimize your increments. Maybe just did you say just one or two? But if, if it's if the tooth is um, sort of in line with the rest of the teeth, let's say they're straight, and a lot of the times one increment can go on the surface, sculpt it all the way to get the, the facial contours as close to the final as possible, and then. Um, I will I will use like a mylar pool technique to to create the uh, the proximal surface. Sometimes both of them. It works really well for the mesial. Sometimes I'll use a sexual matrix for the uh, for the distal. Now, if the tooth is not in line with the one next to it, let's say the typical case is, you, is you've got the central and the canine, which are a little bit further in front of the palate, uh, in front of the lateral incisor. You're trying to build that lateral incisor out. What I do is I will build the proximal walls first before doing that lingual increment. So get that proximal wall as far forward as where you need it to be, sort of carving out the shape of the line angle as well. So the line angle is we're talking about that, that area where the labial surface transitions into the proximal surface. Mm, the pretty and reflection points. Do, that's right, yeah, those line angles make a big difference. Yeah, so and understanding those line angles and what you can do with it can really change the shape of the teeth. A lot of what we, a lot of what we, you know, what, what appears, um, you know, in the, when we're talking about the shape of the tooth of whether it's narrow or wide, or if it's square or round or teardrop shape is all in those line angles, that mesial and distal line angle mm. and knowing how to manipulate it is a, is a good skill to have. So when your composite layers are down, you've built your proximal walls and you're now you've overbuilt the tooth and you're carving. What's your carving and polishing technique? What let's start with how how do you carve back and create these line angles and the general facial anatomy? So I'll 
I'll use a sort of a fine flame diamond just to get uh, as much of that bulk back yeah. before I start using. The next thing is I use a soft it's just a lot of them. <laughs> so we'll have a, a setup, I'll have like twin soft it's just uh, different colors. I tend to use the, uh, the orange and brown range because they can get really fine and you can get them approximately, not all the way through, but it, they work really well to get a very smooth uh, uh, contours into proximally. And then you can use that to carve the, the, the shape of the tooth and build those line angles. What you don't want to do is, and this was probably a mistake that I was doing initially, is using that burr or using the, uh, the, the diamond burr and, and going all the way from one contact area to the other. The surface of the tooth is not flat. Um, the surface of the tooth does have a point where it starts to transition into the, inter into the proximal areas. And that, that needs to be very well defined. Yeah, yeah. I think um, most uh, dentists, when they're learning about uh, creating these um, facial anatomical features, tend to just wipe out that, that beautiful line angle by over-polishing at the point where you should actually see a more distinct transition. So you're basically creating these line angles mostly with discs at, at different angles? Yeah, that's it. So I'll be carving the proximal surface first, getting the shape of the line angle. So if it's angled or, you know, get, getting the, the general shape and then, and then carving labially towards the line angle. And that's how you define it. Mm -hmm. Do you ever play with, you know, rotation direction of the discs or do you ever get that serious? As in doing like the, the backhand and the forehand and... <laughs> Yeah, look, it helps. It helps to do it backhand when you're sort of carving the, the distal. Uh, that's also something I learned on that course. Uh, I think Jason uses his disc mainly um, sort of upside down, uh, where it works well. So, yeah, so definitely using it on, on, on both sides helps to get into particular areas, especially when you're doing the distals of those teeth as, as you're going further back as well. Mm, love it. Okay, let's say we've got our anatomy right, we've used our flame, we've used our discs. What does your final finishing protocol look like? So with polishing, um, I'll go through uh, using rubber points. So I use the uh, enhanced points by Dense Supply. So they come in different shapes and, and so on. So the, the sort of the cone and the, the disc, um, they work really well. What um, color are these? I'm not, I don't know if I know. Just white, white color. Yeah. Um, they work really well. So, so this is, this is after you've carved in your texture as well. So the surface of the tooth we said isn't flat. Now it's not, it's, it's, it's not entirely, yeah, well, it is smooth, but it's not, it's not flat. So it does have some grooves and it does have some lines in it, but these lines are not rough. They need to be polished really, really smooth. And that's how you get that light reflecting off the tooth that looks looks like a natural tooth. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we're using the, the enhanced uh, polishing cups and points. And um, after that, some sort of a diamond polishing paste on a, on a wheel gets that shine really, really, you know, enamel looking. Oh, that's what I don't do. I'm going to do that diamond polishing paste. I'm totally writing that down. On on what yeah. kind of wheel? 
there are many wheels you can use. There's the ones that I use the one that's like a felt wheel, uh, works well. And you're using it with slow speed, high pressure. And then you're going around in circles and then you slowly increase your speed and pressure. And you'll see the magic happen. In which direction? Like toward the edge? Uh, yes, no, no, you're right. Yeah, so I start sort of gingerly and I work my way upwards, but it's rotating and I'm slowly moving the disc from toward the gingerly towards the incisor edge. Amazing, amazing. And I'm sure this is when you sit the patient up and they look in the mirror and they cry and you cry and you're hugging. This, it's just, it's just beautiful. Well, look, I mean, that's the thing about aesthetic dentistry. Uh, there, there aren't many procedures that you can do as a dentist where the patient sits up after and cries. Well, they can cry for other reasons, <laughs> but the uh, but you, you see you see it and it's 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 incredibly satisfying and rewarding to be able to to give something like this to the to the patient. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.